Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 50th episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, we're back to the real world, doing real world things, but neither of us won the Pro Tour. How do you feel? Uh, not surprised. Um, it, uh, you're never a favorite to win a tournament going in. Like you're or more than 50 50 to win a tournament with like a bunch of really good players, especially. So, uh, I don't know. I, I had a good weekend. I had some days that were kind of rough. I didn't sleep the best. Sometimes it's hard to get good sleep at a hotel, but I had a good weekend. It was great. And the Wolfpack won. So, woo. yeah, four or three of the <laughs> top four in the cut to the top eight in the pro tour. Not bad. Not bad. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I'm okay. Misty's uh, also very excited about this. She's always excited about everything. Uh, yeah, I, I did real bad all weekend. Not not my weekend for flesh and blood, but uh, got to meet a lot of really cool people and have a really good time anyways. So I guess that's kind of a good thing about being involved in the community on the level that we are is even if flesh and blood doesn't go like my way there's still lots of cool people to talk to and hang out with and get to meet and all that stuff so thank you to everybody who came up during the weekend and said hello shook our hands took some pictures signed some cards whatever you wanted we were happy to do and accommodate for because we appreciate each and every single one of you yeah <laughs> yeah thanks everybody <laughs> But uh, real world wise, I'm dressed up nicely because I had to give a presentation on BSA AML requirements to a financial institution this morning. So I just kept on my snazzy outfit. So I just get to be even more better dressed than you than I normally am. Wow. I feel like I dress fine. Now. Yeah. I guess ever since. Beyond this time. Mm hmm. I was actually talking to Brian Gottlieb on the weekend, and he used to work in a BSA AML banking field. He brought up one of his cases. I want to go read about that case way more now, but small world, you know? Right, so you didn't win the Pro Tour. Where'd you finish? I I went 10 and 4. I went 6 2 and constructed and 4 2 in draft, playing Lexi and constructed. And I drafted Katsu in the first draft, and I drafted uh, Uzuri in the second draft. My first draft was much, much better than my second draft, but both ended up 2-1. Um, ended up getting me 31st place, which is barely, barely qualified me to get another PTI and $1,500. So pretty solid finish, but not... Uh, not winning the Pro Tour. I don't know. Not, not, yeah, not winning the Pro Tour. Not a top eight, but I'm not unhappy with my finish. That's fair. I went 2-2 and constructed on day one playing Anethys Old Time and then 0-2'd my draft and I was done. Uh, my draft kind of went off the rails. I thought my deck was insane. I drafted Katsu and then I realized my deck had like three block threes in it total. So I just didn't block and then it was just race the clock and uh, the races didn't go my way, but oh well. That's not that's not ideal in this format. You you like I think in all formats you want three blocks, but this format especially where like most cards kind of suck. So getting three value out of a card is pretty valuable. Yeah. So the night before on the Pro Tour, we had like a team meeting where we discussed limited cards and like pick orders for all the different heroes. And time and time again, we kept talking about peace of mind. And I was super high on peace of mind. I love peace of mind and the Seekers interaction. 
I just thought super clean, really good to do. And I don't remember exactly how many people on the team, but there was one very loud, outspoken, outspoken individual on the team who was like, peace of mind is garbage. You should never draft it in like aggressive heroes. Like maybe you want it sometimes, but you should just not prioritize it. And I was like, hmm, maybe I'm wrong about peace of mind. And then I think I passed two red peace of mind in my draft. And I, 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 those red peace of minds are haunting me to this day because I'm like, man, I wish I had some red peace of minds. Yeah, the card's very good, especially when you combine it with Seeker's Equipment. For uh, anyone who's not aware of the interaction, secret peace of mind costs two. So you pitch a blue to pay for your peace of mind. You have one resource loading. And you get that ponder token to prevent four damage. And you get to activate your Seeker's Equipment. You get to opt one. So you kind of set up the ponder draw at the end of your next turn. And you also just get to cleanly use your three resources from the blue pitch. It's a very powerful interaction. Basically, uh, basically nets you a one card five on defense using your equipment. Mm. And then also the team was very low on taking equipment in general. A lot, there was a pretty commonly held team opinion where it's just like, yeah, equipment doesn't matter. Take good cards in your deck because having a good deck is way more important than having these pieces of equipment. So that idea prioritized. I just let I just let the team meeting get too much in my head. Basically, like it wasn't a consensus on that, but I just. There was enough divergent thoughts with 20 people on the team, obviously, now, where you're going to get a lot of wildly varying perspectives. And I didn't have enough confidence in myself and my own evaluations in the limited format to kind of stick by my guns. So I kind of tried because I hadn't had a lot of success leading up to that point either. Like I don't I think I've had one 3-0 pod in all the drafts we've done so far. So I was like, maybe I'm doing something wrong. I'll try this other strategy to see, you know, maybe if this can work out for me better. And then, because I was like, it's going to be hard to do worse than what I've done. And then I did worse. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, I think like, that's part of just like the size of the team is people are going to have differing opinions. And like, there wasn't really time to like, like we're we're cramming this meeting and we had like a few hours Thursday night that we were like, we're going to talk about the whole limited format and how to play all the heroes and all the matchups and stuff. So we just like kind of, and, and talk about pick orders. So cramming that into like a two hour meeting before, (laughs) right before the pro tour, it definitely wasn't enough time to like flesh everything out and. Or blood everything out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry that it, potentially detracted from your or made your drafting experience worse and i mean ultimately at the end of the day i made the picks i it's all it's all on me right and i could have played better in classic constructed i played old time uh i think our mirror i think our anathos old time is like cracked into like old time mirrors so that's kind of why i wanted to play it and i beat up an old time mirror round one somehow managed to beat a phi in round two not typically a good matchup for old time and then I lost to Azalea for the first time in four months. And then I lost to Alexi, which is just like a slight coin flip. And I made some mistakes. So it's just like, that's it. That's how it goes. Yeah. I, I really have issues with like coining that matchup or coining that matchup a coin flip, saying that matchup is a coin flip. Cause I, I really don't, yeah, calling it a coin flip. I really don't think it is. I think it like does kind of matter how the Lexi's draw lines up. But like, it, I feel like it's just like, a lot of agency in the Lexi's hand to just like play really well and not make like these small mistakes that will cost them percentage points. And like you make them, you make so many decisions playing Lexi against old time that like, 
I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of the time when you win as Lexi, it's because you did like a lot of things right. And when you lose as Lexi, it's because you made a few mistakes that costed you quite a bit. I don't, yeah. I don't think it's really a coin flip. I think most I thought, of the agency is on the Lexi though. Yeah. Most of the agency is on the Lexi and the draws, but I think the adding the pummels and the command and conquerors back into the list, I think really improved that matchup where before we were playing and I was just kind of on the strict defensive plan. I don't think any of our games were like, particularly close and then once i swapped to the pummel cnc build like the game started getting like really 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 close and um i feel like with more practice like maybe and being on like the weirder more aggressive build of and of those old time you could get some equity there but yeah i guess calling it a coin flip's a little generous mm-hmm. so uh Lexi, four Lexis in the top eight of the Pro Tour, three Lexis in the top eight of the Calling. Do you think they're going to do anything about her? She didn't win either tournament. Uh, she, yeah, she didn't win, so there's nothing to be done about it. You know, I think it's fine. Like if, as long as she's not winning the tournament, that's the only metric in which they should base their ban and restricted announcements on. So uh, I would probably <laughs> uh, restrict Teclo Pounder probably at this point from Dash, and then maybe ban Glacial Footsteps out of uh, Class Constructed. I think, yeah, because those are the two winning decks. I think I think they need to be touched. Dash one or second calling in what three months, two months? Yeah, a clearly problematic hero. Mm-hmm. All over the meta. <laughs> so it is it is really interesting. That's how living legend points work. But you're you, you were being very sarcastic. It sounded like so you don't think ban should follow that same thing where it's like only the winning deck matters. Uh, no, I still. The more I think about it, the more I'm just like ban Voltaire. I think that's it. Lexi players will hate it. And sure, maybe the deck gets like significantly worse, but it's not a legendary. It's not a new majestic out of a new set. Uh, and it's the third majestic weapon in Tales of Aria. And it's the only one not banned at this point. Clearly, the so you might as well. The majestic weapons. <laughs> Just get like, I, I think fundamentally the play patterns Voltaire leads to are not fun and very frustrating to play against and leaves too much to be left to the die roll a lot of the time as well where whoever goes second just gets like 15 percent swings and equity and like win percentages in certain matchups like that's not a really healthy thing for a game to have right yeah i I agree i think win rates going second with lexi are kind of ridiculous because like you don't have to load your arrow with Voltaire. You can if you want to. And it punishes opponents who do things that like normally going first, the like balancing is that you can take like a setup turn. You can play an energy potion. You can play a blue aura as prism, something like that. Prism or not blue or yellow aura as prism. Blue aura. No, blue aura as prism. Tired. Prism's gone. Dromai can play auras, make dragons, whatever. All this stuff that you can do. But like if you spend your action point, then Lexi's like, okay, I will load one, sometimes even two arrows on your turn if they have a falcon wing, which that's kind of like a little bit messed up. I think that like Lexi gets to take a setup on your turn zero. Yeah. And like the whole point of going second is that you get to draw back up to start the game with a four card hand. You're meant to have four cards on your starting turn. And Lexi's like, Hmm, how about sometimes I get five or six cards on the starting turn of the game instead. And it's like, well, I just got max punished for going first. Like, this just seems like completely ridiculously unfair in your favor now. Like, what Like, what do I do? And even if she doesn't, like, 
uh, load in an arrow, particularly like just already getting to filter some cards out of her hand if it's all red, or there's just too many payoff cards that she wants to keep for second cycle. Like Voltaire just gives Lexi so much agency, not only on the first turn of the game, but through all turns of the game going forward as well. I think it's just actually like a problematic bow, especially in the Ranger class. Like if you look at every single other bow in the Ranger class and like how the fundamental design of arrows is structured, like the way you're supposed to be attacking with them, their rates, um, the action points they give you and things like that. Like Voltaire is clearly breaking the Ranger fundamentals in some way, whether it like actually, actually needs to be banned. Um, maybe that's up for debate and you could look to banning like endless arrow or something like that down the line of flexi gets like really out of hand but i i think the power level of the deck is just such that it's just like probably the best deck and i think if we don't like i i that being said i don't expect lss to ban voltaire or anything today i think there's going to be no changes but i could see post road to nat season once like lexi wins like 75 percent of like road to Nats game like matches and things like that like i think there could be an issue because i think that's basically where we're heading sure that makes sense it's really interesting to me i think lexi's the first time i think a hero has been broken on the back of their cards more than their equipment lexi has new horizons and voltaire that are like i would say are quite good and then her other three equipment kind of suck like tunic is fine because you're like playing medium length games but like to everybody has tunic and it's not particularly good in lexi compared to any other deck and then bullseye bracers and snapdragon scalers they both kind of like don't look very good but because her cards are so strong she can like kind of make them solid at points but like bullseye bracer is you get one resource off of voltaire activation and you can go past a limit of two like that is not a very strong piece of equipment it doesn't block it doesn't have battle worn or anything it just one time you get to save one resource and uh cheat your limit basically and then snapdragon scalers are one action point one time in the game everybody has or a lot of heroes use snapdragon scalers because a lot of the boot options suck but like lexi's cards are just so good she has so many cards that like break like the the typical rates of flesh and blood like we've talked about art of war before and like chain and even Fi. how how good it is like you go like three four five attacks wide with art of war you're paying one resource for a bunch of damage she gets rain raiders which is like you spend a full card on it, but you get double the effect on each thing. So instead of spending a third of a card, you spend a full card. But you get you also get to know what your hand's going to look like with Rain, Rain Razors. She gets three of a kind, which is one resource draw three. With It does have downsides, but she mitigates them very well when you're playing like 40 arrows and you have two Voltaire activations. And then Codex of Frailty, I think, is the most... It's definitely the most recent additional card that is super broken where you're getting like zero for four or so because i guess it's like a zero for three it's like because it doesn't spend your action point but um when you play it you get an arrow back so you're just converting it to whatever your best arrow in your discard is which you're just converting it for a card that's about one card worth of value and then you also get the upside of a ponder token and a frailty token <laughs> and sometimes the upside of them not being able to block because you messed them up but even like ignoring like the frailty token and messing with their arsenal and stuff you're just like spending one card to get two cards it doesn't cost any resources it's a yellow that blocks two and you can play it directly from hand so we talked about bullseye bracer just like being a voltaire activation codex also just like puts an arrow from your discard in your arsenal so i think these cards are just like really really good <laughs> that's not even talking about any of the individual arrows and 
I think all the arrows, like, I guess another thing you can do is compare arrows to, like, the crush effects that Guardians have, where, like, they have to deal four damage to get these, like, impactable on hits, where, like, Remorseless, Infecting Shot, uh, Endless Arrow, all they get their effects when they just hit. I don't know. This is very strong. Searing Shot. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, yeah, I think... Can, are we on the same page as Endless Arrows, the most problematic like arrow card in the deck, though? Um, yeah, I remember back we did like our top ten cards of all time, and I think I had Endless Arrow on my list, <laughs> and it's just like it's like Snatch that blocks three that draws you a block three snatch every time you play it. And when you combine it with Voltaire, you can just like give it going on demand. It just makes it like really, really strong. <laughs> and then you combine yeah, it. I think the... what's most messed up. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, you also combine it with like the anthems, like rain Razors and art of war. And there's just so much damage with one card. Yeah. So I, I, I was, that's what I was going to say is the interaction with rain Razors, I think is what makes it like the most problematic where off of just, Rain Razor's an endless arrow. You can threaten, uh, like, off of Tunic Counter, Voltaire Activation, Go Again, uh, off of uh, Voltaire, Fire the Endless Arrow for six, um, or plus one, and then give it Go Again with Snapdragon Scalers, and then load it in with Bullseye Bracers, and then fire it for seven. And, like, that's just a two-card... 14 potentially enabled by like a tuna counter and a piece of equipment and that's saying nothing else that's going on for the rest of the turn when you're combining with like other arrows other on hit effects codexes so even if your opponent like blocks it out on a chain if you just have a codex then to just bring it right back into your arsenal then give it go again with snapdragon scalers and then load it like there's just so many broken interactions that like happen with endless arrows specifically and rain razors that it's super frustrating to play against and there are just decks that just like can't deal with that much blocking and once it starts hitting the damage it outputs is is like you know 15 20 damage on those turns or whatever so it's just a lot but once again it's all enabled by voltaire without voltaire if you only had one like if if the if Lexi only got to load and deal with one arrow a turn and then Bullseye Bracers let you cheat in like the second one, like I don't think Bullseye Bracers is an issue at that point. But like the cheating in the the difference between attacking with two arrows in a turn and then attacking with two to three to four enabled by Codex sometimes arrows in a turn off of a rain razors is just like not okay in terms of damage output and value you should be getting out of like your average card, right? Yeah, that that's reason that's a reasonable take. I think like it does have a lot of downsides with endless error that like if you're like if you're keeping a hand that's not relying on endless error hitting, the endless error hitting doesn't really matter because you were just gonna like play your other arrow anyway. And then if you're keeping a hand that does rely on endless arrow hitting, if it gets blocked out, you lose a lot of value. Um I will say that's def- definitely mitigated by the existence of New Horizons, where uh, you just have two arsenal slots. So if you end up with an extra card, sometimes you just get an arsenal it, or like you can arsenal an endless arrow and then that hit at the end of the, the, the turn. And then you have this endless arrow and arsenal and then you can still play your hand like normal and then just fire the endless arrow at the, at the end. Yeah. The I don't like so. the idea of ever touching uh new horizon. Just like 
for one, it's a legendary. LSS is pretty explicitly and blatantly said they don't want to ban legendary, so I don't think there's any way that that's happening. Two, um, New Horizon does have like real costs or like setup effects where there has to be a face-up card in your arsenal. If New Horizon ever gets blown up through effects like Tomaltai or you try to like even though it has to block with it, you might as well ignore the block value on it because once you block with it, uh, as we just saw in like our last game, University, even if you feel like you're getting good value off of it, Lexi's ability to like play the game from there is going to be severely hampered. And it just, and having two cards in Arsenal should be a real cost because of cards like Command and Conquer or Breaking Point or the Arsenal disruption effects. And all that combined, I think, leaves New Horizon and just like a safe kind of like class identity kind of card that I don't think is the fundamental problem with what's going on in Ranger at the moment. Sure. Sure. That's fair. I guess like I would, I wouldn't classify it as a problem, but it is what enables all of this stuff to happen. I think like it does feel like an identity piece, but like, I don't know if you ever started a turn with an Aaron arsenal without new horizons. It's like impossible to play a functional turn. <laughs> so it is, it is a very powerful equipment and like it, let's Lexi play the way she wants to where like without it, it's goes from like your, your, a lot of your turns go from being three arrow turns because you start with an arrow and arsenal and you're just firing two with your bow. And then you fire your last arrow to like, it's hard to have two arrow turns sometime or like you have to like keep a three or four card hand to have a two arrow turn and you can't like do anything with your arsenal most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's I agree. Yeah. Um, any other decks that did really well that you uh that you have been a known hater of that you'd like to talk about? <laughs> no, I can't think of any other playable decks on the weekend. Um, <laughs> I think we touch on oh Katsu, uh, I took Katsu <laughs> in the calling, and uh, had a real good time. And I think that's everything in class constructed meta viable decks. Okay, there's a there's a certain uh, illusionist that I'd like to talk about. Prism uh, Prism's living legend. Dromai. <laughs> Dromai. Oh, Dromai. Dromai, that hero. The one with, the, she, she makes dragons, right? Is that, that's, yeah, that's what she does? Yeah, she makes dragons. Oh, okay, yeah. It's all coming back to me now. I'm remembering this hero. Mm-hmm. So uh, this hero put two copies in the top eight of the Pro Tour, two copies in the top four of the Pro Tour, including a finals appearance. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? It's fine. It's a fine deck. <laughs> <laughs> fine huh mm-hmm. it's just not the deck for me you know what it's, uh, <laughs> obviously I hope everybody can realize at this point it's a bit like I don't actually hate Dromai and think she's unplayable uh, or anything like that I had people come up to me on the weekend like why do you hate Dromai so much and, I'm, and I just had to be like I'm talking to you in person like it's a bit I'm just joking I don't, I don't really hate the deck or anything like that i just thought it had some you don't inefficiencies. hate and everyone who plays it no I, I like mara quite a bit <laughs> like i've had lots of good and positive interactions with mara uh we, we rib each other on on twitter and you know a good amount about it like it's 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 just a good meme at this point as far as like my act like hatred towards it i still don't like it and i don't think i would ever register it for a tournament just because I think it has some clear issues and I think it's gameplay overall. Uh, I guess specifically in big dragons when you're playing against Oldheim is just 
a miserable experience for everyone watching, playing, or who knows anything about Flesh and Blood in that match. Uh, I can't believe Michael Fang won like a three-hour game against like a double remembrance, like Dromai. That's like, oh, I'm gonna with ghostly touch and all this. Like, is that is that fun? Is that is that a good experience for anyone involved at in like the game of Flesh and Blood? Like, sure, Spectra was problematic, but like at least games ended. <laughs> the dragons they just they just take forever to clear because of the nature of the turns and, the, and them having phantasms so i don't know yeah i think like, what are your thoughts i think it's really hard for um it's really hard for the games to end because the whole deck blocks for three basically all the dragons block for three everything blocks for three and draw my and old time is not very good at killing people especially people with a bunch of three blocks so yeah. And defense reactions and peace of mind and oasis respites and sigil solaces and all that. I don't know if I've seen peace of mind in Dromai yet, but yeah, definitely not great at killing them. Um, I do think that playing the games as the Dromai player, it is a pretty cool puzzle to like work through each game. It's like you draw cards in a different order. You have to figure out how to like have a like strong end game while still like keeping up enough pressure that the old time's not just going to take a five card hand and just like rouse you or whatever <laughs> and decide when it's like worth it to just like let that happen and th- like there's a lot of like interesting decisions you make from the draw my side of that matchup and i think it is like i think a lot of the people that play these big dragon dromies they probably enjoy playing the matchup into old time because like you make a million decisions you have so much control over what happens in the game and it's just like a good puzzle to try to figure out i guess um i think the deck did reasonably better than I expected it to this weekend. I I know Mara beat both Brody and Andrew in the top eight of the top four. And they were both on a very similar Lexi deck to me. They're both Wolfpack members. We had a pretty pretty similar AD going into the tournament. I think Brody actually ended up one card off of mine. And I still think I don't feel bad playing Lexi into that matchup. There's like some turn sequences that can line up poorly for you. Like they she Mara had six copies of like Arsenal Destruction with Breaking Point and CNC. Um, she, some of her dragons are really difficult to deal with, especially if you don't have an endless arrow for that specific hand. But Frostbites are pretty impactful into that deck. It's 60 reds, so Frostbites are pretty good. And I think like Lexi's capable of just having some very big power turns that will just leak a lot of damage and get a lot of on hits through because Dromai has two pieces of blocking equipment. I think Mara's inclusion of Skullcap was really smart, though, just, like, helping her hit the breakpoints more often against Lexi's arrows. I think Aggro Dromai, I thought it was... I honestly thought it was a really bad deck. I didn't think it could beat very much of anything, but Doesn't beat it does have, a, does have a reasonable matchup into Lexi, and maybe you can change enough things to fix the old-time matchup, but it was kind of apparent that that wasn't Mara's focus for this weekend. She tried to make her ranger matchup good she beat a million rangers over the course of the weekend so <laughs> worked out Just yeah gotta dodge fair. the old times and i do yeah the the red line mara version i think is a lot healthier for the game overall it makes sense like just getting the accrued value off of the dragons and if you're playing like that tempo aggro game <laughs> that she's playing in the red line version uh 
makes sense to just like try to get the recurred value off of either attacking with them or if you're racing your opponent and they just spend a bunch of time attacking your dragons like that's a bunch of value you have to keep coming in with your zero for fours instead um so it makes sense from that perspective i just the big dragon one specifically still um just i just am not a fan of that deck and its play patterns um overall and I think super struggles into the aggro decks specifically as well. So, uh, yeah, I don't think, I think Dromai is an incredibly skill intensive hero that requires very precise, uh, calculations as far as like what your current board evaluations are, what your future board potential, uh, evaluations can be and managing life total and like your resources and like there's so much going on in that oh and the ash resource as well like there's so much going on in the deck at any given time that um i'd still think it's overplayed by the general population because i like i said i think it's actually a harder deck to play than icelander and that deck was like notorious for people like this is the hardest deck to play in flesh and like i think droma is way harder than icelander um and yeah, I guess that's my current evaluation of the deck. It's a good deck in the hands of skilled pilots who know their matchups very well and have good game plans going into it. But if you're just trying to take a deck for like the first time to your local armory or calling or something like that, or like you'd probably be better suited to playing something else. But that's still just one man's opinion. Yeah, that's fair. You you talked about something there that I kind of actually had a thought about talking about this episode, but I, I'd like to. I think. Uh, skill expression in the current CC formats, like at potentially an all-time high. We like thinking back to like Starvo formats and the aggro formats we've had, and even like the Nationals Worlds format where it was like a lot of Icelander and old time. I, I think like skill expression between like Lexi and Dromai, they're both like very challenging decks to play perfectly. I think, and and even lump old time in there, who I think is reasonably easier than both heroes, but like lends himself to very long drawn out games wow. where you have to make like a lot of Michael Fang correctly. like that. I think no. <laughs> I don't think he would argue. He only but... plays easy mode heroes. Okay, Michael. Oh my God. I... <laughs> I I just I think it's uh the game's in a really healthy spot in terms of like skill expression being very, very high right now where like you're seeing like the people that are winning are doing very or like are just like I don't know. Like um how do I put this? I'm low skill because I lost a bunch <laughs> on the weekend, and you're high skill because you won a bunch on the weekend. It's okay. I get it. I, I guess can put two to do together. The the two the two class constructed games that I lost this weekend, I felt like I made mistakes in. And if I can go back and play them, I'm not play them again and not make those mistakes. I'm not saying I win those games, but they're definitely a lot closer. And I potentially win those games if I don't make the mistakes at least. And I think like when the format's in a place where like the games are being decided by who who's actually playing perfectly, who's making mistakes, who's not making mistakes. I think that's a very good spot for the format in general. <laughs> when, yeah, I don't know. And I think like, I guess I'm comparing it to formats where we've had a lot of aggro mirrors where like, I don't think like, Briar mirrors or five mirrors have always been the most skill intensive. I think Lexi mirrors are pretty high up there. Where like, like you said, we just did our university episode, and like there were a ton of decision points in those games, and both players did not get every decision point correct. And like that's just like this is the top eight of the pro tour. It's just very very hard to make all the decisions perfectly in a Lexi mirror. 
Agreed. Yeah. Um, now I'm trying to think if there's any... Uh, I guess the secret team deck that we alluded to before was Viserai. Uh, Viserai beats up Dromai real badly. Um, it has some other really solid matchups. Apparently, people were posting in the Viserai chat after uh the pro tour people are like yeah viscera is really good in old time and all the old time and everybody was like <laughs> you're joking there's no way viscera beats up old time and it's like sure you keep thinking that but like i i don't know i guess we could just talk about it but like because the pro tour is over but yeah viscera destroys old him right now in their current format like he just sits on a bunch of rune chants and you just accrue enough value between the split arcane and physical damage that old Hind has to split continually all of his cards between all these different resources. And if he ever draws like a very red heavy hand and can't mitigate arcane damage, he just dies horribly. Like it's not like a buy for Viscerai, but I would say Viscerai is like extremely favored in old time as far as like current builds of the decks are concerned. Yeah, I, I think there are some things you can do to make Oldheim a little better into Viscerai, but I agree. I think Viscerai was very good into Oldheim going into this uh, tournament, and I think that's, like, Zach took Viscerai to top four of the calling. Uh, he beat up a lot of Oldheims along the way. <laughs> and back when Whale was around, it wasn't even a great matchup for Oldheim then, but having Winter's Whale helps a lot against these, like, aggro decks that really need to draw a good number of a good mix of like reds and blues to pay for the reds and stuff and losing whales that's tough against viscerai and also like i think viscerai especially who was both vulnerable to ice react and also a lot of the time a blue block two still blocked for three against viscerai because of rune chance so a lot of the downsides of running whale of having the two blocks instead of the three blocks didn't really apply into viscerai and it was just like a lot of upside yeah, and ice cards are at an all-time low. I didn't even run a single ice card in Anathos all-time over the weekend. So, like, I just didn't have any way to ice react. No channel like fridges going on. Nothing like that. You just have to just play your good attacks and some pummels and just hope for the best in the race, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Which isn't great. Visrai is, uh, is real good at racing. Yeah, I guess... <laughs> Specifically against our team's version of Lexi, though, I did not. So I was on Viserai up until maybe like a week before the Pro Tour when it became apparent that Lexi was going to be the most played deck. Um, I did not want to take Viserai into a field where Lexi was the most played deck because I think Lexi beats up Viserai pretty good. I think she's just usually like a turn faster on average and... That's not even factoring in things like if my opponent has things like Arctic Incarceration or Winter's Bite in their deck, which not every Lexi deck has, but I think it's crazy for the ones that didn't. Um, like it's, it just feels like such like a minimal package to include. I think it was like eight ice cards the team played overall, um, and it just gives you so much room. Or we had uh, we had three winners. Ice cards? We had three blue Winter's Bites main board, and then decided in the rest. It was like eight, eight that we were like not playing it to everybody. Yeah, I, but it was eight ice cards overall, right? Three blue, three yellow, and then two Arctic red Arctic incarcerations, right? We we had red bites as well. The deck lists are public. Yeah, <laughs> we had it was oh. uh, it was two or three red Arctic, two red bites, three yellow bites, three blue bites. So it was like eleven total ice cards, ten or eleven total ice cards, depending on which which one. You eleven take. total ice cards. Okay. I'm pulling up Andrew's deck. Yeah. And Andrew had three Arctic, two red bite, three yellow bite, three blue bite. 
Yeah, there are no yellow bites registered in this Andrew Rothamel Lexi deck in the Pro Tour. That's not correct. <laughs> Why does LSS struggle so much with these deck lists, man? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure how the deck lists are uh, inaccurate so often. But he did play. He played eight bites and three Arctic's. Okay. <laughs> well, regardless, uh, it just gives you like just because you're not playing all this whole ice package doesn't mean you have to abandon all the ice cards. Lexi still has a perfectly good talent for you to take advantage of and play these cards uh, to give you some, a lot more room and tempo uh, in aggro matchups. And specifically, I think the one matchup that everybody took or maybe took up for granted over the weekend was Bravo into Lexi. I know Bravo was a pretty heavily played deck in the Pro Tour by some teams. Uh, expecting a field full of Lexis and Azaleas. And I, there, were, I, there, were, there were even a lot of Bravos in the calling. And uh, what happened to me over and over again with playing Bravo is I'd be like, okay, I have my Spinal Crush Dominate lined up. It's going to be sick. And then I just need to get through this turn, use my armor to block some good on hits. If they pop up and then we'll get through it. I have a million block armor. It'll be fine. And then you would flip up like a winner's bite and then play the winner's bite. And I'm like, oh, so now I have a frostbite that cancels out my seismic surge, and I have to give you a whole card out of my hand and no way to really use these resources to clear the frostbite since I'm not old and with granite seeds. Uh, I can, I, my best play now is attack you with Anathos. <laughs> Bravo's hands fall apart super quickly to just like even just like the mildest forms of disruption that Lexi can present. Hmm. And sometimes like she won't have the disruption, but she'll just like present two or three on heads that you really should block and you can't really afford to give up a card and an armor twice to block out both of the on heads. So like you said, and you're getting hit by an infecting shot and taking two extra damage. And is that worth it for your dominated spinal crush? Uh, Depends what those random discards are. As long as they randomly discard the three of a kind, you're good, but crippling crush. Yeah. Whatever. Whichever crush the crush, the crushes with the crush effects, you know? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, I don't know. Lexi, Lexi's very good. Lexi's very good. Uh, if Lexi does not get touched, which I think this episode's coming out probably shortly after the ban and restricted announcements, which is not ideal timing, but what can you do? <laughs> if Lexi doesn't get touched, I think that she is the best deck by a reasonable margin. Yeah, I don't. I think you're going to have to have a really good reason. I didn't play Lexi because I had like actual zero reps on the hero. I felt more comfortable with old time. I felt the Anathos Oldheim deck that we took to Pro Tour was a really unique and innovative, good way to build Oldheim with uh, the Vambrace. And that was it. That was my decision. Had I had more time, yeah, I think Lexi is just the best deck to be playing, and I don't think it's particularly close at this point. So, Yeah, I I kind of... I, I definitely switched to Lexi like not very long before the Pro Tour. And I think like Lexi is very hard to play, and I definitely saw that in the two rounds that I lost where I made like one of them, I made like a really silly mistake where I like blocked with new horizons. And then in response to the pummel discard trigger, I tried to load my bow and then I just blew up my arsenal when the combat chain closed. Cause my new horizons had died. <laughs> so <laughs> just like not, not the brightest mistakes I could make, but I don't know. It's that, that one feels kind of obvious, but it's like, still like a very like it's a weird scenario where i'm like trying to figure out how to get value out of my new horizons because the game's almost over and i know i'm going to get pummeled and trying to figure out how to use my cards mm. <sighs> push and what's hard it is it's, it's a great game i really like this game yeah 
you want to move on to the whole national season uh, discussion, or do you have anything else you want to say about uh, the Pro Tour? Um, I guess the last thing I want to touch on the, uh, the, about the Pro Tour is I think this might have been our best Pro Tour yet in terms of like the organization, the hosting, the the spectating area was great. The tournament ran really smoothly. All the rounds really fast. I think we were done like five both days or something. It was like super early. And I just, uh, I don't know. I think that the venue was also probably our best venue that we've had. And they did a lot of things really well. And I just want to shout out LSS and everybody who was a part of making this tournament happen. Because I think, I think this was probably by like a reasonable margin, our best pro event yet. Yeah, I would agree. It's definitely been the best one I've been to, but you also have been to a few more than I have at this point. But yeah, I was really impressed by everything as well. And I, I really hope they bring back that viewing area. There's a, a picture of us like both like watching one of Andrew's matches on the rail from, oh gosh, who, who took the picture again? Bryn from the Banish Zone. Yeah, thank you, Bryn. That's a great picture. I love it. <laughs> Uh, okay. And then there was the meme where I, I, I like the meme our Discord made out of it, where it's just like, <laughs> I think Goldheim's going to win this match. It was like, of course, Michael, Dromai's unplayable. Like that, that's, so, <laughs> that's, so, that's so good. Mm-hmm. So, so it also explicitly shows you breaking the law in that picture because you're leaning the on law. the rail. Yeah, the, the law of the convention center was no leaning on the rail. And there's Michael leaning on the rail. I'm just saying, buddy. Oh, no. I'm going to tell the convention center authorities. (laughs) (laughs) My my criminal activity is going to catch up to me now. One day. You can't keep getting away with this. (laughs) (laughs) So I think think that was the last thing. I really hope we get that similar feature match set up at at future events. That was was awesome. Mm, Agreed. So Nationals. Do you yeah, know how to draft got, Monarch? Nope. Uh, I don't think I've drafted Nationals. I think I've drafted it zero times now. We have done a decent number of Seals. We've played a lot of Bolton and Prism in Sealed. I've tried the Shadow Heroes. haven't gotten them to work very well in Sealed. I assume draft will be different. And I feel like I'm pretty confident I'm just missing something with Levia. But I am very excited to start diving into Monarch and learning it. And one thing that's especially exciting about having Monarch as our limited format for nationals, we can we can start practicing like today, like whenever we want, which is sick because that's not usually how it is for pro tournaments. You usually have to wait for the next set to come out. Yeah, maybe you can. I'm still busy with work things <laughs> uh, for a little while, but yeah, soon. That's for sure. Yeah. So I remember once you saw the announcement, like you showed me your phone where you just ordered like multiple cases of Monarch to start practicing with. Like as soon as the announcement was on the the slideshow, James White's presentation thing. Yeah, I got I the like, last yeah. one off TCG player for like 215. The next one was like 230. I just pulled it up now. Uh, it looks like the cheapest case you can get is like 275. So it's still not bad overall uh, for a limited. So I mean like... Right, 275 is still very cheap for a case. Yeah. Uh, so I think the product is still readily available. Uh, I think it's kind of funny, uh, that LSS is pulling this too, as kind of like, I hope channel fireball, like fire sold all of their boxes, like in their blow up monarch, kill the game, fire, sell everything, uh, event that happened about a year ago now, 
And I hope Channel Fireball actually has zero boxes of Monarch left overall. And now these boxes all just start spiking up in price and going and going up. And then the people who actually care about the game and who have them now can actually make money off of them. And uh, yeah, that's just my hope for it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I they're dead anyways now. They got bought by e- eBay. So I was gonna say I don't feel like I have any bad blood for CFB, but I understand like everything that happened and how like. It doesn't, it's not surprising that they're not working with LSS or LSS is not working with them anymore, but yeah, you personally might, but the flesh and blood or LSS and the flesh and blood community as a whole definitely does. I would say, uh, but yeah, so boxes are actually still, I I expect them to spike a little bit more. That's why I emergency rushed to buy them, but apparently there's just a lot out there. So that's good. Yeah. So I, I'm very excited to start diving into Monarch draft. I think. We'll probably do some content about it once we actually have an idea of what we're doing. But right now, we are probably more lost than you guys in terms of what's good in Monarch Draft. So, you just drop via the Vanguard and play Bolton. Maybe. Okay, okay. We know via the Vanguard is a bomb. You get your your blue, your two light cards, your via the Vanguard, and you pitch the blue. You play the via the Vanguard. You charge your two light cards, and then you give it go again with the light card. Then you attack with the. A, what do they call it? It's axe, an axe, and then you give it go again. A, and then you attack with your mind. other axe. You always you leave with it, mind. You always lead with mind. Hatchet, hatchet, hatchet. Yeah. And then you give the last one go again, and then you play your zero for four illuminate, but it's actually a zero for six. It's because of the V double pump. Boom. That's just like a 20 damage turn. That's how you play Bolton. Very good. And like, I think somebody over the weekend, I forget who, uh, was like, yeah, Bolton's unplayable in draft. I, I, I don't think he could ever win a game. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> disrespecting Bolton. Everybody out there disrespecting Bolton and CC and Limited. And I'll just be out here charging the good charge. Oh, oh! Speaking of Bolton, we also got to do a match with Sam with three floating, and that'll be up sometime this month where we battled Bolton versus Dromai. It was sweet. Yeah, check it out. Roger's favorite heroes, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. once I guess I maybe I should have waited till that comes out, but it's coming no, soon. Gave us the- all good to tell us that it tell the audience that it happened but we just we'll, we'll give another shout out more directly once it actually is like posted and stuff i'm sure cool um i have some negative stuff about nationals i don't really want to dive into that i'm excited for the tournament ready for monarch draft we just don't know where it is we don't know where it is i'm a little sad elo is not uh, okay, so but... I posted this on the Wolfpack Discord. I, I think I think Elo invites is a very American perspective for nationals, um, because if there are countries where there's like literally twelve people playing in the entire nationals event, saying that the top fifty in that country qualify off of Elo, like that doesn't really make sense. Right? So, so you're saying that so then everybody makes more like, sense. Because then it, yeah, you have to play it in a... Wait, the the smaller countries are open invitation anyway. You don't have to queue for nationals in like a lot of the smaller countries. Yeah, but there are, I guess, the more medium-sized ones then as well. Elo still doesn't make sense, right? Because there's just not an amazing opportunity for the rest of the world to have gotten a lot of Elo at this point, right? Like Europe has had, so far up until this point, has had one calling, right? Yeah, but I don't. I don't know because ProQuest and Road to Nationals both award Elo now. So like, now. they played in a ProQuest. They have for at least a little while. I think season two of ProQuest last year did. Because I remember our Prism versus Chain Finals got some Elo points off me. 
who cares? My Elo's an actual dumpster fire <laughs> after this weekend. Uh, so that's the other reason why Elo doesn't matter. Nobody should care about Elo. It's just it's not it's not an important. It's just a number, man. You know, it doesn't, I think it, nobody don't look up my Elo ratings. To, it's fine. They're, it doesn't matter. I think it was just season one of ProQuest that didn't have Elo attached to it. So I I feel like there have been a decent number of opportunities, and I don't know. I think. Part of, it's hard to not be biased here because I'm just like, now nah, I have to go play some road to nationals to get my invite, you know? Yeah, I, I'm also biased because I have to play in those same road to nationals with you in them. I wish you were qualified yeah. through another means so I didn't have to play in more tournaments with Michael Hamilton. <laughs> it's cool. I guess small tournaments. I like playing in big tournaments with you because I don't have to play you, but small tournaments, yeah. I have to play you. I, I really hope they get our, our national scheduled soon though because this is also a very personal thing, but like the sooner we have it out, the the sooner I can start planning my life events that are going around near Your birthday then. party. Yeah. Wow. Michael Hamilton's birthday. I'm going to be 29. I'm going to be so old. Yeah. I'm turning 33 in 12 days. Hmm. I have to wait 11 years before I get repeating numbers again. Happy birthday in 12 days. Thanks. We'll talk about my birthday more <laughs> next week's podcast. Okay, sounds good. Uh, yeah, that's everything I had. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? Um, Flesh and Blood Sweet. Had a great time meeting everybody again. Said that at the top of the chaos. I'm going to say it again now. And subscribe. You guys should subscribe or follow us on the uh, audio versions. We're almost at 1,400 subscribers now. So thanks for everybody who does that. But yeah, subscribe, like, comment, do the things. All that jazz. All right. Also, I don't know if I said this, but massive shout out to Michael Fang for winning the Pro Tour. He's he's real good at the game. Yeah. Turns out. Turns out there are a lot of good Flesh and Blood players uh, on the Wolfpack <laughs> and Roger Bodie. And with that being said, the next time <laughs> you're playing Flesh and Blood, always remember, mind your manners. Thanks for watching.